Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm Pump It Up by Joe Budden. <laughs> 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 no, I'm your other host, Avi. And this week we are doing Too Fast, Too Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> you know what's really funny when I learned, because I listened to the soundtrack on my way back home from work. Oh, nice. <laughs> I had no idea that the song Start was just the intro to, uh, oh, fuck, what song was it? Like a Pimp by David Banner? Well, I think so. I need to look it up. Cause, That's the song you know, that plays during the logos and the opening credits, yeah. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's the one. I thought it yes. was a Ludacris song, but anyway. No, There's, the Ludacris song comes later during the race. Which makes zero sense because Ludacris is a character in this like film, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I've said on several occasions that Too Fast, Too Furious was my favorite of the franchise, and upon rewatching it, I never realized how much of a fucking fever dream of a movie this is. <laughs> okay, look, we've talked about this when we did Tokyo Drift. In that we are not the most, like, the best experts to be consulted on movies about cars, right? hmm Now, this movie, <laughs> I'll get into it now, like, immediately. But my experience with this movie is, <laughs> it, it's such a, like, seminal moment in my life the day I watched this. <laughs> Basically, the last day of school in middle school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're about to become a high schooler. Right. This is a period of time where I was really transitioning from like not really knowing, you know, the kind of person I was going to be and what I was about and what I was into. Like, I really do consider <laughs> my viewing of this movie this evening as like the beginning of my teenage life. <laughs> and what a way to start <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Like I really I had a I had a rough time like like I had friends and stuff in school and everything, but I had a really hard time like actually being able to how do I put it? Uh like be social with other people, right? Like it was something mm-hmm. that I struggled with a lot in my like in my tween years. I happened to be like invited to watch this movie with like where like the coolest people that I knew at that time right mm-hmm. I, it's just one of those things where I'm like all right cool cool like I I, I can be into this I wasn't into this movie when it was coming out <laughs> I, I my my cousins famously kind of railed on me when I didn't want to watch the original Fast and Furious in theaters because I just had zero interest in watching like a movie about people racing right like it's you just, had a tiny fedora, uh, not a tiny fedora, <laughs> a tiny beret and a tiny scarf that was slowly growing into, like, art school student douche. <laughs> I just wasn't into wearing. it. I was not into it. Like, this was really, like, a horror movie phase. I was into stuff that really not a lot of other people around me would have been into, right? Um, but this movie, it hit me in that... <laughs> This is the kind of clothes I was I was going to start wearing at this time. This is the kind of music I was getting into at this time. Like, this movie just captured me at this age so perfectly in that this is all the things that I was going to be into for the next four to five years. You were like, yes, this is what I'm all about, baby. <laughs> well, not just that, but, like, this movie takes place in Miami, right? 
and it came out like four months before Grand Theft Auto Vice City comes out. I, the PlayStation Two, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I you know what I was gonna mention two thousand two. So Vice City came out in two thousand two. What this movie benefited from is the fact that it takes place in Miami, and it's so Miami like it captures right, the feel. Right. Same time. Vice City Fox came out the year before this. And so, then twenty. Like, it was the twentieth anniversary of Scarface, so Miami was already in our like in our collective consciousness again because of that anniversary. So that year from 2002 to 2004, Miami was like one of the hottest fucking things <laughs> in the world. Well, if you also listen to Southern hip hop too, like, I mean like the early two thousands is where, you know, Southern hip hop really was starting to become the main thing that you would hear on the radio. Oh dude, ludicrous, uh, ludicrous Pandora radio was the best shit in fucking college. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it, Again, this just captured everything at, at the right moment. And so to me, <laughs> it, it was my entry into this series. Uh, I went back and I watched the original after I watched this movie. And I will tell you over and over and over again, that first movie is dry for me. Like, it is not interesting at all. And one of the things that was disappointing about the two or two sequels after this is that it felt for a while like like they wanted to treat this like the redheaded stepchild of the fast and furious series until you hit fast five right it's like fuck you this is the best <laughs> one assholes well because brian o'connor comes back in the fourth movie like after tokyo drift ends and and they come back with doing fast and furious that comes out in 09 like he comes back and then he's like all of a sudden fully involved with the fbi again <laughs> they make no mention of roman pierce in that movie and like no mention of what they talk about at the end of this movie to the point where like you could easily just have been told that this movie never existed and it took maybe the best movie in the franchise in 2011 to to just say no 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 this is all canon and we're bringing everything together we don't care how stupid it is driving cars into boats we're bringing it all back we're gonna make it stupid <laughs> well that's the thing this movie is it's not a car movie this movie is an action movie this movie is you know, like for, I'll say this, for all you hyper-masculine guys out there who <laughs> who talk about how you're not into sci-fi or like superhero movies or this and that because, you know, this this stuff is manlier and more exciting to you. A lot of these movies, like a lot of the scenes in this movies, particularly like the racing scenes and the action scenes, you're watching like the same kind of shit that people watch like in Batmobile chase scenes in Batman movies. <laughs> like it's not that different. I'm going to put down my affliction shirt, my Oakley sunglasses and go over there and say something to you, bro. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't make fun of people. But before <laughs> I hand it, before I hand it off to you too as well is I think it's important to mention that this movie is directed by John Singleton. Had no who... idea, even though apparently <laughs> we talked about it on this show. I had no idea. Yeah, we did. And John Singleton, you know, is famous for being the writer and director of Boys in the Hood in the early '90s, which you know, it won. Like I think, I think if not one, he was at least nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director for that. Uh, and I think Best Screenplay was also nominated. Uh, he had, like, the early part of uh, John Singleton's career was stuff like Boys in the Hood. Uh, he did the movie Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson and Tupac, which, you know, I, I also like from the 90s. 
And I feel like this movie kind of comes at a time when, you know, it felt more like he was more a director for hire and less of an auteur than he was in the earlier days of his career. Oh, yeah, now I can make schlock. He got all the fucking, like, <laughs> art house movies out, the ones that were going to be, like, thought-provoking, and now he can just make whatever he wants. Like, <laughs> I love that there's a quote that apparently he wanted to... He decided he wanted to direct the Fast and... The, like, a sequel for the Fast and the Furious after watching the first one and being like, damn, how come I didn't think about that? <laughs> and I guess just from there, uh, there was always talks of the of the, uh, of the studio wanting to make sequels because the first movie grossed a shit zillion dollars. Um, and apparently they worked on two different screenplays. In, or they, not two different ones, but two screenplays, one in case Vin Diesel decided not to come back, which he did not because he chose to do The Chronicles of Riddick. I don't know if anyone saw that, but um, that was a thing. <laughs> okay. You're not a fan, I take it. Of what, Chronicles of Riddick? Yeah. Oh, no, I am. It's total schlock, though. Like, <laughs> I'm a fan because it's a bad movie. <laughs> I think I think Vin Diesel got, people got the impression that he wasn't doing sequels because there were, he had a moment, right? Like, he had a moment where he did Fast and the Furious, and then he does Triple X, and you thought he was going to be, like, the hottest act. Like, you thought he was going to be Schwarzenegger for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Or what Dwayne Johnson ends up becoming in the next decade. Like, he really felt like he was going to be that guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he does the Riddick movie. And then he starts picking these, like, bizarre, like, Hollywood comedy projects. <laughs> and never came back to, like, didn't come back early enough to do uh, Fast or triple x and then at some point it felt like his career sagged and then and then years later that's when he finally started coming back to stuff he did before (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like you said it could be that maybe he didn't want to uh, or maybe he finally decided that he was losing out on some good paychecks there or maybe he was also the same thing or you know the same kind of idea where he wanted to do projects he believed in and not exactly like projects that were going to make him money but no matter what you know, he ended up coming back and is essentially the face of the franchise now, you know? Like, you can't think of fa- you can't think of uh, Vin Diesel without thinking of, like, three roles, and that's uh, Dom Toretto, uh, Xander Cage, or Groot now, so. Yeah, that's he, true. He doesn't care. He's making a shit zillion dollars. Yeah, and um, I think the, but- the biggest bummer about watching this movie as well is obviously, you know, it's it's the Heath Ledger thing or the or the Brandon Lee thing in The Crow, right? <laughs> I mean, they didn't die during this movie in particular, but, you know, you're you're watching somebody who unfortunately is just not with us anymore. And the same can be said for John Singleton. I think what makes John Singleton a little bit more complicated is, especially like in 2017, you know, he was accused of, uh, of uh, sexual harassment on a uh, writer for The Root when they were doing like an interview with him and Whoa. and it's just uh you know there's some sexual mm-hmm. misconduct in his past that it's he made good films early in his career and we will talk about why we actually like this movie but uh yeah unfortunately the wor- you know the truth is what the truth is right <laughs> uh, another fun fact of a connection between this film and Ty- or you know the John Singleton and uh Tyrese connection is actually baby boy yeah so this is the second project they got to work on because Tyrese plays not Tupac in Baby Boy. 
Well, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> the funny thing about Baby Boy, despite the fact that it really is like, it is a movie that when it's on, I cannot not watch it. <laughs> and I swear to God, we may have to review it on this podcast one day because he is easily, it's easily one of those things where it's like, I watched it as a kid or like as a teenager and I really liked his character. And then I come back and I watch it as an adult and he is absolutely like the worst like person on earth. It really felt like, you know, those like web videos of going back to watch Zach Morris and all the, you know, problematic things that he didn't <laughs> say by the <laughs> like that that you get those same kind of like just chills when you're watching that movie so uh, it's the uh 500 days of summer effect it's when you go back <laughs> and watch something and you're like oh you're you bad oh, that's probably true yeah uh, both of the characters and fi- yeah both the character of tom <laughs> and 500 days of summer <laughs> yes we drew a line between baby boy and 500 days of summer <laughs> I love when we can do that, when we can bring all these different genres and movies together. But all right, let's let, if you want, you know, you can let me know what your experience was with this movie before we kind of really get into it. My experience with this movie was very simple. Like, I think I was maybe in sixth grade or fifth grade. This was a time where I would get like my dad and I would bond by going to movies all the time. And we would just pick utter, like, just schlocky movies of the early aughts. Thankfully, the early aughts had so many of us to pick from. I personally remember going to watch, I think, Shanghai Noon or some other shit. Great movies. But anyway, we ended up going to go watch Too Fast, Too Furious, and I was like, fuck yeah! Cars and girls! This is awesome! (laughs) So this movie felt like it was definitely made for a 12-year-old hobby or an 11-year-old hobby, and he was very juiced to watch this movie. All right, so uh, this movie starts in Miami, completely completely different location than where we were in the Fast and the Furious, but completely different coast. Yeah, thankfully, you know, thankfully for everyone who's listening to the show. Before I watched this movie, I made sure to research on YouTube the supercharged <laughs> Fast and Furious prequel. Like it was this. I guess it was a uh, special edition on the DVD, right? Like, this was the decade of DVD extras, right? Yeah. Where, where like, I I swear, this was, like, the decade where even comedy movies that you had no business caring about, like, what the making of it, those movies would have director's commentaries. (laughs) Like, this was really a decade that was all about, let me cram as much extras into your DVD as possible, Right. And one of the things that comes in the original DVD, I guess, release of uh, Too Fast, Too Furious was a supercharged prequel uh, that essentially bridges the gap from the end of The Fast and the Furious to Too Fast, Too Furious. Is it and like an animated prequel? No, it is, it is a live action prequel starring Paul Walker. And it's only six minutes long. It has very minimal dialogue in it. It's mostly like a montage that shows you like all the things that happen that get Brian from LA to Miami. And basically like he just, he essentially goes on a cross country road trip where he's like racing people in different cities and like taking different cars. 
and for some reason minka kelly is like part of this like this video what the and, hell yeah she's like she this was like several years before uh friday night, friday lights, night lights even so she was very young in this <laughs> and she's like traveling with him to some of these places stalking him at like certain motels that he's staying at and she drops him off at the place where he picks up the car that he starts modifying on his way to florida which becomes the car that he's racing in this movie (laughs) oh the uh the nissan skyline correct so it's but the skyline that he buys looks like a used car it's in poor poorer condition and uh he i guess somehow like convinces uh you know people who work in garages in the middle of nowhere that he needs time to work on his own car in someone else's garage (laughs) i need your tools and parts please (laughs) i'm not gonna question what you know how that happens or why but regardless that's what happens he leaves the the lapd and he you know just like basically goes on the land <laughs> goes AWOL and travels to Florida so now by the beginning of this movie he's no longer the authority figure who is gonna let the criminals go he's a full-fledged criminal himself which makes the premise of him coming back in the fourth movie and being an FBI agent even stupider so <laughs> It gets even more batshit insane. <laughs> but at least someone had the forethought to be like, let's do something to connect the dots because we are doing something so different from the first one. Yes. I give this movie a ton of credit. I will give this movie a ton of credit for knowing, like, basically knowing that it's going to be a difficult proposition to make a fast and the furious movie without the star of the first movie. So what they're doing is they're elevating the partner in the first movie and they're putting it in a brand new location. So it kind of distracts you from the fact that the guy that you really wanted to see, if you were into that first movie, isn't going to be there anymore. (laughs) And and a whole new cast of sexy characters. (laughs) And I love this too. Like, I mean, like I will say this, my one of my favorite and i think we talked about it in tokyo drip but one of my favorite characters in this franchise besides han which we talked about before our love for han on this series is very well documented my love for tej also knows very little bounds in this franchise because what is it with the side characters in this franchise being so rad dude the side characters in this franchise are so rich and you care about them so much like what makes Fast Five such a fucking awesome heist movie is that it's literally we're bringing all the side characters that you like. <laughs> like, it was a side character party. It really was. It's like, yeah, there's the family because they're important, but here's everyone that's like adjacent to the family. Yes, and I and I don't like the family. I don't like any of the characters like who are really part of the family. I'm not a big fan of Brian, uh, Roman. I, he's i can relate to him more i think he he's he, they're both equally just kind of like all right well i'll go along with you guys because you guys are you know in the story but tej is tej is great han is great <laughs> the two guys in like the two guys in in fast and furious nine are great uh you know like i'm i'm fine like i give me all side characters forever <laughs> 
it's why you know I, even though i haven't watched it yet i can't wait to watch hobbs and shaw for the first time i know i still haven't seen it that one's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a fucking ridiculous movie and i'm ready for it no this franchise embraces the like it embraces the absurd and I think you have to do that. There's a reason why this is now like the most successful non-comic book franchise that exists in movies. And you give you have to give Universal credit for taking a movie that was a moderate success in that original movie, essentially ballooning the budget because this this looks like a really high budget movie. Like you want to live in the Miami of this movie. Between this and Grand Theft Auto Vice City on PlayStation 2, I wanted to live in this city, even though, like, the Miami of Moonlight is probably closer to what living in Miami is like. It's this, more, right? A little bit more realistic. Right. <laughs> the music oh, yeah. in, this, in this first scene is great. We get our, like, establishing of, like, all the racers of the first, you know, of the first race. So, Ted's essentially all he does is put races together. He doesn't race cars himself. He somehow knows Brian, and there there is some sort of street, you know, anonymous street race happening in the middle of the city, and one of the drivers is not able to make it. So that's when Brian is the one who's called in to join in on this race. And the other characters are, you know, I, I like them. I, I like the character of Suki, who is, you know, is uh, I guess friends with Tej and Brian, you know. Uh, she's like, like you said, the lone woman besides Eva Mendez in this, and it feels like she's more a part of the plot. <laughs> um, they shoehorn her in. They find ways to bring her in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and all the and all the racers of this first of this first scene are kind of like you know they're they're very bare bones character. Kind of they're like NPCs, the, if you will. Like they're just there to fill slots. Right. Kind of like the Ja Rule scene in the original movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's just cameo time. So this is all people that probably like showed up for auditions but didn't get an actual good part. You know what's like, funny is that like, Ja Rule, Ja Rule was actually like in in talks to to join the cast of this movie and I'm I think there's probably a solid chance that the Tej character that ends up getting played by Ludacris probably was a part that that people that maybe Universal thought Ja Rule was going to take. <laughs> but if you recall, at this time, Ja Rule did have somewhat of a film career that was taking off. He ends up doing that Half Past Dead movie with, uh, with Steven, Seagal. <laughs> Steven Seagal. And then, like, a couple <laughs> years after this, like, he also does the Assault on Precinct 13 remake. So he was kind of like an actor who was in demand in some ways at this time. The early aughts were a strange time. And I'm sure he's probably kicking himself for not taking the part in this movie because, you know, Ludacris is the one who's since come back like in the 2010s and continued to be a part of this franchise. So yeah, at this point, uh, we get introduced to our various NPCs. <laughs> so we got Michael Ealy makes an appearance. That one Puerto Rican actor that always, like, I never remember what he is, but he he's always just some tough-looking dude. Literally, he's, like, the like the most chauvinistic, like, <laughs> Latin uh, male pig you could probably put into this role. Uh, yeah, it, everything he says is always demeaning women. They introduce him by slapping two women's asses. <laughs> <Such> <laughs> like, a that's the first shot. 
I know. I love it. I feel very well represented. <laughs> so what was it? They introduced these two folks, or they introduced the racers. What I really like with the shots in the beginning is like, it's really color coordinated and they really play with a lot of like, uh, and you know, I was, I was reading off earlier from IMDb how much they use neon in this movie. But I really like how they play with the colors in this movie and how everything is so color coordinated. It's like when they show when they show that one racer, the 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 Puerto Rican dude, uh, and they have like the 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 coordination between the people in the background where they're all wearing red right next to his red car, or when they show uh, Suki's car and it has all the girls wearing pink, or like uh, the dudes in the in the gold track suits when they're by Michael Ealy's car. Like they play a lot with colors in this movie. And then finally, we get um, we get the introduction for my man Bullet, also known as Brian O'Connor, who comes in in the Nissan Skyline, all silver and blue, playing with a lot of cool colors for him. I found it interesting that they called him Bullet. I can only assume that was a reference to the Steve McQueen movie. That's what I thought. That's exactly the same. And and when I first saw this movie as a teenager, I'd never seen Bullet. But now that as an adult, I've both seen Bullet and then I've also seen Zodiac, which has which has <laughs> Inspector Dave Toski, who is like who Bullet is based on. Like I am now familiar with that and can catch the reference. And what's interesting is like if you watch it with subtitles on the way I do, because I, sometimes I don't really pay attention. I need something to read. Subtitles uh, are perfect. I, I will say this as as an adult now, like I just in general, if I'm watching TV, I need to have subtitles on, and I can't explain why, but it does help you focus more. <laughs> yeah, because at a certain point, I'm like, I don't need these subtitles. I'm just gonna <laughs> pay a lot of attention. <laughs> but like, I was watching it with the subtitles on, and they even spell bullet the way it's spelled in the movie: B U L L I T T. You know um so that's even more reason right like makes you think it's for the uh a reference to the movie so at this point uh our racers get introduced they take off on a they take off on a race all around miami what we assume is downtown miami i thought it was just gonna be a quarter mile stretch the way uh regular racers go apparently i was wrong and i'm a know-nothing bitch but they end up racing around the city to which uh what's his name again um Oh my God! Why am I blanking on uh, Lou Chris's character's name? Tej. Tej. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so Tej uh, tells the group that is a set that's uh, that's all shown up there um, that he has a surprise for him, and it turns out uh, his surprise is he sends a bunch of dudes to break into a uh, bridge control shack, where he raises the bridge like a ramp. And the final leg of the race, the racers have to jump the ramp. Uh, mind you, they're racing for what, like $10,000, something like that? <laughs> like, so they end up going over the entire time Michael Ely's character in, is in the lead until finally um, uh, Brian overtakes him, uh, hitting the Nas on the ramp, flying over him. Michael Ely almost dies and, like, crashes into, like, a billboard. Suki ends up flying over, coming in second, and the other dude just says, fuck it, who, honestly, he's the smartest guy of the group. <laughs> well, it's also the only just, it's movie language comeuppance, right? Like, he was the most chauvinistic guy and, like, insulted her the most for being the woman, the lone woman in the race, was a total pig to her, and then 
her revenge is that she's the one who can make the jump and he doesn't. <laughs> her revenge <laughs> is she does more than $10,000 worth of damage to her car. And the best part about the, the ramp jumping scene is that Brian's car literally hops over Michael Ely's car. <laughs> that's, how, that's how science works. <laughs> yeah, this, this scene is great. It's great. It has all the bullshit that you love from these racing scenes. I don't know what nitrous does in an actual car. I don't care. This movie just sure. tells you that ev- this movie just tells you like the universe here just says everyone who races cars has nitrous in their car and they can all just press this little red button that like just like shoots them. Look, this is Batman guys. All right. <laughs> this really <laughs> like the tumbler like shoots fire and jumps over buildings like. Okay. So um, apparently Nas works is shut up nerd magic go-go juice. <laughs> so then because i mean the physics you know what no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna no, do that i'm not gonna no. dissect this movie no, i'm if, gonna stop i'm gonna no, shut if, up and enjoy it if we fucked off on the physics of you know tokyo drift i'm not gonna get into any more of the physics here like <laughs> like i will not stand for slander I will also just don't understand cars well enough to know does this happen or can it really not happen with cars i don't know I don't know. <laughs> One of you will tell us. I'm sure you will. <laughs> like literally nothing excites me about getting in a car and racing with strangers or just other people in general. So I will just watch people do it in this movie. And that's about as close as I ever need to get to that in my life. <laughs> that's what, you're like, that's as much of a car guy as I'll ever be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, the cops show up that causes everyone to break up. Uh, but we actually do get introduced to Eva Mendez, who plays the character of Monica Fuentes. Uh, we have no idea who she is at this point. Um, she just, you know, she has a little back and forth with uh, Brian, where, you know, she tells him he's got to leave or she's got to leave. And he's like, wait, how come? And just then the cops roll up. So everyone scrambles, takes off um brian gets cornered in by the cops and he gets arrested and here we get he gets arrested by james raymar who has like a fucking gun that shoots like it shoots some sort of like hook that (laughs) (laughs) the dart that it shoots yeah it like electrocutes your car and turns it off somehow Is that real? Like, is that a real thing? <laughs> can someone please? I I hope someone can tell us on the Instagram page. Like, is that real or not? Because, you know, again, like to me, this is just movie tech. Sure, why the fuck not? <laughs> it's it's the same as like putting the club on a helicopter in Batman Forever. <laughs> uh, oh fuck! It's fake. I really wanted this to be real. <laughs> apparently it's called the esd harpoon launcher and i'm like fuck that sounds rad (laughs) (laughs) all right well it looks like this this thing is used to capture brian o'connor because you know whatever the atf i guess is is what it is or is no they're customs customs okay so customs stupid i don't get why this is customs all right so customs what their goal here is (laughs) is that they want to get brian and one of their agents to become race car drivers for a known money launderer and drug dealer in miami 
Yes, who is played by Cole Hauser. <laughs> who is played? Who, no, this guy is literally supposed to be like an Argentinian drug kingpin played by Cole fucking Hauser. Whitest <laughs> guy you can ever imagine. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? Just because you put black hair on him doesn't make him any less <laughs> And you know what? And, and Brian like makes a, you know, how do you like them apples like reference in this movie at least twice, which I thought was just like, because Cole Hauser was in Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> That's probably why he said that because, yeah, it's really bizarre to have him play like a latin kingpin in this movie but whatever i, I feel so represented <laughs> wait re- cole hauser was the douchebag in goodwill hunting yeah well I no have... he wasn't he wasn't the douchebag that gets insulted but he is one of uh will's friends at goodwill hunting oh i didn't know that that's mm-hmm. funny that not <laughs> that makes me chuckle now i mean the <laughs> other stuff i really know him from is this Goodwill Hunting and Paparazzi, if you remember that shitty movie. No, Days and Confused for sure. I definitely uh, remember him in that because I'm a film student. Puts beret on. <laughs> Should have watched Paparazzi where he's an he's an yeah. That's how you can tell it's a fucking movie because no movie or in no time in our history has Cole Hauser been an A-list actor. <laughs> but he plays an A-lister, and I guess the paparazzi take pictures. They, they pretty much princess die him. Like they take pictures while he's driving and crashes his car and his family. Like I think his wife dies, so he goes on a quest of revenge against the paparazzi. Got it. All right. Well, you know, we'll discuss do we like Colt Hauser like on another episode. Short answer, no. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Brian is confronted by not only uh, James Raymar, who I I will just refer to him by his real name because I don't. (laughs) Raiden? But he is also confronted by his old boss who's named Bilkins. And uh, I guess. He's apparently an FBI agent now? Sure. Because, you know. Of course, like, of course, Brian would work for an FBI agent when he was with the LAPD in the last movie. Hey, shut up, bitch. No one asked for your logic. <laughs> but anyway, like this, I guess this guy is supposed to be there to help convince Brian to do this. I guess they're saying they're going to wipe his record clean because, you know, he is now wanted in California for aiding and abetting Dom Toretto, who apparently during this movie is now supposed to be living in Mexico. Is that what happened? Uh, they don't explicitly say it here. Say it here, but when I was reading it on Wikipedia, they talk about how you know after he once uh, Brian lets Dom go at the end of Fast and Furious, like that's where he was heading. He was heading yeah, off to Mexico. Imagine. So you're you're basically left to believe that he is going to be in Mexico throughout this movie until he travels to Japan and Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Again, the, I need to sit down and really dissect the timeline here and try to put them in order one day. You know what? It's just one of those things where it's like the Fox X-Men series where it's like it, the more you think about it, the less likely it is that all of this happens in the same universe. So just don't think about it very much. It's like just shut up and watch it, okay? But the idea is that, you know, Brian basically insults his other agent who they want to put, uh, you know, as Brian's partner, essentially trying to ask him about, alleged car parts and this guy cannot answer the question uh and doesn't really it's it's funny it's a funny joke because it's literally like a guy pretending to know about cars when he doesn't right Mm -hmm. and and essentially getting made fun of by brian for not knowing what he's talking about 
So <clears throat> you see, this one didn't really hit me because I've had this conversation with people, but with guns instead of uh, cars. And it's always funny to me when, I, because there, there's always that douchebag, like say when we talk about the, the, the rifle, the AR-15, right? There's always some douchebag that has to be like, you know, the AR stands for Armalite. I bet you thought it meant stood for assault. And it's like the entire time Brian was making those jokes with this agent, I'm just like, oh my God, you're such an internet douche. I just want to punch you in the face. <laughs> it was just like this weird visceral reaction I was getting from him. <laughs> but, pre- but pretty much at that point, Brian was like, you know, if I'm going to essentially put my life and freedom on the line, I want it to be someone I trust and I know can do this job and can actually pass as, I don't know, a getaway driver. <laughs> so he ends up convincing the customs agents, the customs and FBI agents to take him to Barstow. I'm assuming Barstow, California. Yes. Where, I mean, because the original movie's in Los Angeles. So yeah. they, they will make the, they, for some, in the middle of this movie, travel to Barstow for some reason. I love how much Brian has no problem, like, making these agencies waste resources to fly across country. <laughs> hey, you know, these, res- they, these like, agencies are ready, willing, and able to supply him with cars and money. This is really the beginning of, like, where the series is going to go, like, in, in the later movies. This really is, like, the preview for you know, we're now going to be paying you guys to do a bunch of stupid car stunts for the U.S. government. <laughs> like, we it's are... like if SEAL Team 6 and Hot Wheels had a movie. <laughs> yeah, but I guess, okay, so in Barstow, we meet Roman Pierce, who's played by Tyrese, and uh, he is apparently Brian's childhood friend. So before Brian became a police officer, he was hanging out with a guy who was partaking in illegal activity uh i guess they were still friends when brian joined the police force and this guy was arrested you know and uh i guess the fact that brian became a police officer is what is what spelt the end of his friendship with roman well it was that he thought uh brian didn't help him on purpose when he got raided because he got raided like with i think they said he had like six stolen cars in the garage when he got raided by the cops and he thought uh brian like knew about it so he was just like man fuck you and fuck the police it was just one of those shitty situations where it's like because like brian goes on to say he goes hey even if i did know about it i never would have wanted that to happen to you uh whether i was a cop or not like i never wanted that to happen to you um yeah. But yeah, so we learned that Roman did some time. I think he did about three years. And they have him on, uh, they actually have him under house arrest where he has to stay. He can't move within 100 yards of his trailer, which I don't think people realize that 100 yards, like, it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. No, so he would probably, like, his ankle bracelet would be going off by the time he reached the front door. Yeah, because his main form of income is like is like uh is he's a driver in a demolition derby. And when the when the when Wilk or when Bilkins says, Yeah, he can't leave a hundred yards from his house, I'm like, where the fuck is his house? In the middle of the goddamn like of the racetrack. I mean I do like the joke. I do like the joke that he lives in the parking lot of this arena. But yes, let's let's not get into the logic of this because more important than anything, what we are here to see is man on man fighting. 
<laughs> for some reason, you know, the only way that Roman is able to deal with the anger that he has towards Brian is by socking him in the face. And then both of them just like roll around all over the floor, getting angry. Like it is, <laughs> it's just like guys like don't understand how to deal with themselves. So their best way of like, you know, talking things out is literally rolling around on the floor with each other. I will tell you about my emotions, but I'll express them through sweaty fighting. <laughs> Which is great. I will. All right, fine. The, you know, they, they talk out whatever they needed to talk out. And uh, once that's over, you know, they convince Roman that if he decides to team up with Brian on this one last job, that uh, they will, you know, his record will be expunged. So back to Miami again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's fly first class back to Miami, bitches. It really kind of um, does. It feels like a James Bond movie in the way that you're traveling like to different places, just so like. Oh, wait to the point the where point. I compare. <laughs> wait to the point where I compare Verone to a, a fucking James Bond villain. <laughs> a shitty James Bond villain. Actually, you know yeah. what? I think the most I, I, once we get to uh, License to Kill, I think the Bond villain in that movie is probably is closer, he take the cake. It's probably closer to Verone than you think. I, if I remember it correctly, I think that's where the Bond series ends up going. You know, Miami drug kingpin as like the Bond villain. <laughs> okay, so when they get back to Miami, they get their Mitsubishi's. Uh, I think uh, what do we get? Brian gets the Evo. Roman gets the Eclipse Spider. And uh, they get hired by Verone after uh, they get an audition, right? Uh, they also get, and they're, they're finally officially introduced to Monica Fuentes, who is, uh, you know, she's revealed to be a undercover uh, customs agent, that she's been undercover for about a year, and that she is essentially going to be giving them orders or helping them out throughout their mission. Hmm. But uh, they, like you were saying, they they're essentially going to infiltrate this group to carry out one job um which is to pick up money for uh verone to get it to him as he makes his big international escape but before they do that they have to uh have an audition so we get a cast of motley crew <laughs> a motley crew of characters who continue to be very the shining beacons of of healthy male masculinity <laughs> you know what this is the part of the movie where i think why i liked it so much as a kid and probably more as an adult this is the grand theft auto mission like just kind of like structure of this story it's like all right well here's the earlier mission and you're like you know in those grand theft auto games you work for one person and then you're building up to the final mission with that one person like that is literally what this is and i think it's why it just worked for me when i watched it but yes you're this... right. no you're right though like it very it very much feels like video game fetch quest so they get sent to this uh to this impound lot to retrieve a package from verone's uh car which was impounded the teams the teams of two which not sure why they're needed two guys but the teams of two end up uh, racing to the impound lot. Uh, Brian and uh, Roman are the first there. They manage to get the package first. However, the entire time, James Remar, who is, uh, we know his, it's Markham. His name is Agent Markham. 
so no, fuck that. We're calling him James Rimmer. So <laughs> James Rimmer shows up with a bunch of other agents, uh, thinking that Brian and Roman were escaping. So they roll up on the group as they get confronted by the rest of the, I guess, racers. Uh, to which Rome responds by immediately grabbing his gun and unloading a magazine into the cop car to scare him off. So uh, they end up escaping. They get back to Verone's house where they give him the package, which is revealed to be a cigar cutter. <laughs> And then uh, we find out that the entire audition was just to see if uh, Verone could trust them. And this is where uh, we get the awesome lines of my pocket ain't, or your pockets ain't empty. <laughs> and we get all those like dumb uh, Roman one-liners. Uh, but Which I love, by the way. I am very much a fan of just the, the fuck it, just give it to me. This movie is like it is fucking gonzo car porn. <laughs> it like really is. Action porn. Like, it really is just porn. It is like, we are not going to waste a bunch of your time with, like, too much story. We're going to give you, like, all the We know what you're here you for. You want to see. And yeah, that is exactly it. Minimal story, and let's give you the shit you want. So they end up uh, getting back to, I think, Tesh's place where they... Uh, essentially take inventory of Ryan and Rome and try to figure out kind of what to do next. They eventually report back to Bilkins, which starts a confrontation with him and James Remar, or with uh, the boys and James Remar, uh, where they where they tell the feds pretty much like, yo, y'all almost blew our cover. Y'all gotta let us do our thing because James Remar does not trust them at all. He's assuming that they're gonna cut and run first chance they get. And that's essentially his character. Everyone's seen that cop character before. Which is kind of fucking... (laughs) It's kind of fucking stupid because isn't his department the one that actually wants to fucking bring these guys onto the project? Like, (laughs) like I I, I didn't get the impression that Bilkin, that this is Bilkin's idea. That they they brought Bilkins along because they thought Brian would cooperate if Bilkins was involved. And Markham says on several occasions that this is a customs, uh, this is a customs operation. So uh, <laughs> he's the one that makes the calls. That which makes even less sense why he has him then, because if he clearly hates these guys, <laughs> I guess it's implied that it was a decision made above him, and he just has to roll with it. Yeah, he he feels racist to me, and I will not <laughs> apologize for feeling that way. Was <laughs> <laughs> <I> not expecting. <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! His name—I'm pretty sure he's racist. Oh wow! That came out of left field. I was not ready for that one. <laughs> Brian and Rome decide they got to come up with a uh, plan B, so they decide they need to get two more cars. So they end up challenging two of the nondescript, nondescript like you know, random ass tough guys from uh, the uh, original race. Right, and and one thing we didn't mention about that original race that we probably should have is there's a shocking scene in that race that, like, you never think about ever again, which is the one where the car, like, literally f- goes under an 18-wheeler and is oh, just, Oh, we like, saw a guy die! I forgot just, 
and, and you know, let's be clear. We know the way Paul Walker has untimely passed away. So like the fact that you're seeing like a guy literally die in a goddamn car accident in this movie gave me just like chills that I did not want to experience watching this. I was like, holy shit. And that scene was on every fucking trailer for this movie before it came out. I knew this scene before I saw this movie. That's how much they played it. <laughs> I forgot about that. So when they're driving on the interstate, like one, a dude driving a Mustang ends up crashing the Mustang under an 18-wheeler. And the way they shoot it, you think, oh, crap, maybe like it just runs over the, maybe it just runs over the front of the car and not actually like where the passenger, or where the driver is, right? But then they go out of their way to show that it's like, nope, the tires are right in front of the driver. <laughs> yeah, no, usually, okay, usually this series goes out of your way to let you know when people are okay. Like, the other races, I feel like they're a lot more cartoonish and that people can survive these, like, crazy, like, accidents and without being really hurt, right? Which is great. I'm fine with that. <laughs> this is fucking brutal because this guy literally became street pizza on the highway. And then his, like, partner crashes into the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're left to assume that guy, if he's not dead, he's probably, like, really fucked up. Uh, no, that guy did not survive. He is most certainly dead. But two of the guys who were involved in that original race are the guys that they are going to be racing now oh, you for know their muscle part? cars. You know what my favorite part the muscle car guys when, when <laughs> Brian and Rome beat them? <laughs> one of them looks at the other and goes don't let them leave this lockup." and the other guy goes okay and he pulls out a gun <laughs> i was like wow this is really quick like holy shit you guys just met these guys and you're already like ready to kill them so the guys that threaten their lives they think it's a great idea to just challenge them to a race for their cars <laughs> Yeah, which, you know, I feel like the muscle car race, it this is the reference to Vin Diesel, right? Like this, or at least like the callback. Like this, sure, Vin Diesel's not in this movie. He wasn't able to come back for it or didn't want to come back for it. But obviously because Dom like drove an American muscle car, like the fact that they're racing these guys in muscle cars feels like the presence of Dom over this movie. <laughs> and of course his car just shit, like... Their car just shits all over the imports, right? So, mm -hmm. right off the bat, when they try to race these guys in the muscle cars, um, Paul Walker says a bunch of like car guy stuff that I don't know. That I can't really, <laughs> I can't really repeat. But essentially, it's just that the dude's Dodge Challenger is just way too much, like way too much horsepower for them to contend with. They literally could have said anything, and I would have been like, "Yeah, that's they right." <laughs> That's yeah. how car people talk. <laughs> Put it in my veins. <laughs> they could have been like, that has 400 donkey force. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> you force those donkeys. <laughs> I guess I'm laughing at donkey force. <laughs> so during the race, um, immediately Ryan and Roman get overtaken by uh, the dudes in the muscle cars. When Brian's leg of the race, what he ends up doing is he uh, plays chicken with, I think it was the, the dude in the Challenger, and ends up forcing that guy to spin off the track, uh, giving Brian enough time to go make his roundabout and come back, where he hits the Nas, passes the guy up very last minute, winning the cars. So now they got the cars, uh, they end up getting the pink slips, and now they got their two cars just in case, for what reason, we don't know. 
Right. <laughs> so they get invited to a nightclub by uh, by Verone, where they end up meeting up with uh, Fuentes. And essentially, <laughs> this is, you know, they take uh, the guy that plays Harvey Bullock in uh, Batman Begins. Oh, you mean Mark Boone Jr. Wow, you know his name. Yes, I, I've seen, well, this was the first movie I saw him in, but he's in Batman Begins. He's in Halloween 2. He was on the show Deadwood. Um, he was and also in, uh, he <clears throat> was Bobby in uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, like he's in stuff and I know who he is. So <laughs> Yeah, but no one ever knows his name so i have to like say it's bobby (laughs) from sons of anarchy yeah (laughs) so um they get taken to the nightclub where they essentially watch verone like torture this like miami pd detective played by mark boone jr the way they torture him and i swear to christ i just saw a movie where they did this exact same thing they put a rat on his chest or his stomach and they put a bucket over the rat which they then heat with the hopes that the rat starts like scratching and burrowing him into his stomach. Oh my god, fuck that. Like it's <laughs> such an evil, like some evil torture shit. Um I remember that looking a lot more gory when I was a yeah. kid. Was the really thought good. of that, the thought of it sounds frightening or like something you'd see in a horror movie or in Scarface, like the chainsaw scene in Scarface. But once you actually see what has happened to him, I mean it barely it barely looks like it scratched him or like maybe bit him once. Like it really just, it it sounded as ridiculous as it looked (laughs) because like, you know, again, this sets up that the Verone is essentially a supervillain and will go out of his way to torture people like a goddamn psychopath. Like, (laughs) and he then goes on to threaten the dude's wife and kids. Um, And then goes on to threaten his own girlfriend. Like, (laughs) He's just like, I will feed my everyone to my rat. I don't care. <laughs> I just, it'd be great if like Barone ever got out, and then it was just like him and his rat like coming up with like a like a payback plot. Did you just describe the plot to Willard? <laughs> <laughs> he just comes back as the Rat King. <laughs> I'm the you- king of the. Uh, it's um, so unfortunate that Paul Walker is no longer here with us, but to, to, to do this sequel that I'm writing in my head, but on the bright side, you know, and then we can get, uh, you know, uh, Tej and his assistants uh, from the shop to become the stars of this movie now. And for some reason, they're the ones that are taking on Verona in the next movie. Perfect. I wrote it. Money, please. <laughs> Dear Universal. Do you like money? (laughs) Writes letter in crayon. (laughs) (laughs) Writes money, M-U-N-N-Y. So what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the torture scene in the club. (laughs) Oh, that's right, my rat king. So Roman and Brian end up going back to... uh, God, these guys just go everywhere. (laughs) You know what's funny? Every single time... Like, they end up at Tej's garage. Tej is just doing stuff that's, like, progressively more ridiculous. Like, the first time, it's, like, him, like, con- like setting up the race that all of them are going to be in. The next time they see each other when Rome first shows up, like, he's refereeing, like, a jet ski race <laughs> and taking everyone's money. I guess everyone's, like, gambling on this. And then by the third time that they see him, they're all, like, playing cards for ridiculous amounts of money. <laughs> like... The fourth time, he's just, like, 
fucking playing Russian roulette with a bunch of Vietnam vets. <laughs> like, I really just want to have his life. <laughs> it's on a unicycle. <laughs> the next time you see him, like, he's hosting a cockfight. <laughs> <laughs> he's essentially Danny DeVito, and it's always sitting in Philadelphia. <laughs> He's just doing weird illegal shit in the basement of someone's garage. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, they end up going back to uh, meet up with the feds, and they tell them, "Yo, pretty much, we're pretty sure Verone is going to kill us by the time we finish this job." It's not a guess; it is told to them, right? Like, like oh yeah, this... Fuentes tells him straight up. Fuentes tells Brian the next morning. After they have slept in Tej's houseboats. How many houseboats do they have? God damn it. <laughs> Again, I want to live in the world of this movie. Like, people don't have houses. They all live in houseboats. They travel wherever they want at, like, no cost. <laughs> in the early aughts, that's what your lovable slacker lived in, like, a houseboat. But, yeah, I could have sworn that she, they tell, um, I could have sworn she tells them earlier. Because they try to tell the feds, and the feds are like, no. Fuentes comes over, tells Brian about how they plan on killing him. At that point, uh, they get confronted by uh, Verón and his goons. What are their names? It's Enrique and Roberto. (laughs) (laughs) The super Cuban-looking guys that look like they could be our uncles with their silk shirts. (laughs) I do love the first scene where, like, Tyree shows up and, (laughs) and, like, just yet screams at them and uses a squeegee to like squirt gasoline on their windshield and light it on fire. <laughs> and he's just saying some very like not Spanish Spanish words, which is like bordering on offensive. And the entire time I'm like, ha, 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 ha. no, which Instead. is actually mega offensive, but I still can't help but laugh at it. So these guys end up getting in a tussle with the, our heroes. Uh, which ends up in a standoff where Brian is starting to kill, I think, Enrique and Roberto's starting to kill Roman. <laughs> so they're just sitting there at each other, yelling like Spanish obscenities at each other. <laughs> Finally, Verone calls it off, uh, tells the guys to get ready for the uh, for the job, um, and pretty much that the job will be the next day. So they take the entire day to get to to come up with the scheme. Uh, which involves uh, fixing up the cars, uh, fixing up the cars they won in the race, and loading them with half-filled gas tanks. This is a very productive day that they have, by the way. <laughs> like, they do a lot on this day. They talk to Tej about, like, setting up this master plan, you know, at some sort of, like, air hangar that who knows what it's about, Right. Then the other thing that they do is, like you said, they work on those cars and, you know, Brian even asks what they can do with like the half with the half full like nitrous tanks that they have there. And then after that, you know, you get a scene where Brian and Roman like actually like have a heart to heart conversation where Roman tells him that he doesn't really blame him for what happens and he kind of forgives him for everything and they even ask about, like, Dom in that, like, you know, he's like, hey, he's like, you know, is because of what happened to me. Is that the reason why you let that guy go in L.A. and stuff? And and I will say this. <laughs> I was not expecting depth and for something to make so much sense in this storyline. Like, 
they make almost no reference to the first movie other than they you know they let dom go right like that is you don't the only... even say his name which right is like that is all you're gonna think about like in terms of reference to the original movie but the fact that they used you know brian's letting dom go as like something he does because of the guilt that he feels over what happened with Roman, they successfully make this relationship between Roman and Brian, like more interesting than I ever thought the relationship between Brian and Dom was Mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry. And, And people would think that's sacrilege because of like what happens in the later movies and how they're all family, you know, in quotations, but I, this is it, to me. It, it's just simple enough. It doesn't get overly complicated, and it's simple enough. Which, by the way, now that I think about it, like, <laughs> like Dom's crew is all gone too, and like Brian, like, doesn't give a flying shit about, <laughs> you know, about Mia from the first movie, who was like, not was it Mia? I think Dom's sister, right? Who he eventually like has a baby with in Fast Five. So. It's like he doesn't even mention her once in this. <laughs> it, you know what it really feels like to me? <laughs> it, it, You're hella right. Yeah, I forgot. No, you know what it really feels like? It really feels like Karate Kid 2 to me. <laughs> uh-huh. where, where, like, the first movie is really all about, like, Daniel and uh, Elizabeth Sue's character getting together, right? A- and in the second movie, they couldn't bring, they didn't bring her back. And, like, you just get one throwaway line about how, like, she dumped him for the captain of the football team or something like that. And and then Daniel's like, all right, well, time to go to ok- o- Okinawa. And I'm just going to, like, fall in love with whatever <laughs> with whatever girl is, like, out in a, in a different country. Like, that's essentially what happens here. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, really, time to mess around with the Fed girl. <laughs> it calls a lot of attention to, like, how blatantly ignored that first movie is. But again, like I said, what happens that I really appreciate is that they make this, they give this relationship between Brian and Roman a depth that I think I was, that I wasn't expecting. And it made this movie all the better for it. This is Brian's summer abroad. <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah i 100 percent agree this was this was some character development that i didn't sign up for (laughs) in my carport next day uh brian and roman end up driving out to this uh like trailer park to meet up with enrique and roberto who they go into a random well what appears to be random uh trailer it's actually owned by barone They smash up the walls, and of course, every cartel kingpin does this. They hid the money in the walls. (laughs) So they end up taking the money out, stuffing them in these uh, duffel bags, and they load uh, the six duffel bags between the two cars. Enrique and Roberto get in the cars with the guys. At this point, they end up getting betrayed, I guess kind of betrayed, by uh, Detective Whitworth, uh, Mark Boone Jr., who was trying to hold off, uh, pretty much he was trying to buy the guys a window. Uh, he ends up caving and giving the the call for lo- all local PD to uh, come after them. So they get all of Miami PD just like chasing them through the freeway, or through the, uh, what's it called? Uh, through the highways. Uh, the entire time, the feds can't do anything without jeopardizing the, uh, without jeopardizing the mission. Uh, the customs agents are 
essentially hold up at this airfield waiting so that they can get the jump on Verone. So after a insane car chase where they where Rome and Brian end up going to the uh I guess massive garage? I don't even know what it is. Just this huge garage. They end up driving in with the Evo and the Spider uh into two open garage doors. They go in, they get slammed shut. Uh cops set up a perimeter or sen- uh, try to set up like a barricade. And suddenly the car, the garage doors whoosh open and like eight fucking like huge, like Ford F-150s like <laughs> modded to look like, to, to have to like. To start front- monster jamming all over the Miami <laughs> PD's cars. <laughs> so it's just like clear the way, just destroying all these cars, I guess not killing any cops. <laughs> and then it is the best. Best scene in the entire movie. This uh, we get the huge scramble where there's like eighty or ninety cars <laughs> that come just shooting out of this giant uh, garage, and everyone. Which driving the awesome car. part about this is that this scene brings back every single person that raced in the previous races, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, like yes, they, they, there's there's no hard feelings between them and the people who they lost races again against. Even our sexist Latin guy is like you know is now less of an antagonist and more of an anti-hero. <laughs> but it's, again, it's the fact that this movie just does a good job of, of giving you a bunch of likable side characters that it's really awesome. Like, And it makes so much sense now as to why they wanted that second pair of cars because now they've traded in the cars that they had from the, you know, uh, from the agency and they are now like untraced in these American muscle cars. Oh yeah. That's something we forgot to mention the entire time they were, um, they were getting traced by the, uh, by the feds. Mm-hmm. So their cars were, uh, completely wired, uh, with GPS so that they can follow them everywhere. But apparently you can put GPS in every part of a car is according to what Jimmy was saying. Yes. Which again, as someone who doesn't know cars, sure. Why the fuck not? Does Jimmy ever come back? Uh, you see Jimmy very briefly again um, after this amazing next scene, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's Rome and, and Brian with their respective, you know, Hispanic goons. racist stereotype goons, like, in the car. And uh, <laughs> this is where we get, and I told Javi, you know, before, that I think this is probably one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema. If I was ever to like rank it, number one would be, you know, frankly, Scarlet, I just don't give a damn from Gone with the Wind. And then the second one would be <laughs> Injecto Cito Cuz from this movie. You're such a fucking douche. <laughs> I, you know, this is literally, <laughs> I completely forgot about the half tanks of nitrous. And that is what the purpose of this was, is literally that Rome and Brian were going to eject these guys out of the goddamn car. Shut up! It was used to make a goddamn ejection seat, okay? (laughs) Literally, something literally taken out of Goldfinger, right? Like, this is it. We are now in... The again, I love the most ridiculous, outlandish James Bond movies. The stupidest ones, the stupider, the better. Just fucking give it to me. 
so this so that's why this fucking works so much you know in in rome just like shooting him out of the car hitting him with the ejecto cedo line it's like a james bond scene but for millennials <laughs> it's just i can't help it it's just it's so fun and i giggled so loudly in my living room watching this scene even though i knew it was coming uh but i guess originally they all thought that Verone was going to be at an airstrip which is where the police were going to ambush him but it turns out that Verone only told fuentes about the airstrip and he was actually going to go to some dock out in the middle of nowhere so rome was waiting for brian to you know tell him when they're heading to the airstrip and it turns out that brian is not heading there because the airstrip is not where they're going so they end up at wherever the fuck Verone is at and that's where he tarpon. pops out of the car with a shotgun <laughs> it's called tarpon point marina so they end up switching the location uh rome that you know he jams over there as fast as he can but the entire time uh you know at this point fuentes is revealed to be a uh, uh undercover um Verone is going full on like Bond villain here. <laughs> and instead of just killing these guys right out as soon as he knows that they're like, as soon as he knows that they're feds, he for some reason forces fucking Fuentes onto his boat and then makes, I think it was, which one was it? Enrique? He makes Enrique take Brian back to the car so that he can kill him in the car. <laughs> To which yes. Brian tries to use the ejector seat, which doesn't work. So he ends up fighting Enrique in the car the entire the this whole time. Rome <laughs> and Enrique him. bites him during this fight. That's right, he bites him to try to like try to keep uh, Brian from getting the gun. Um, <laughs> we get that weird thing where it's like someone says, "Oh, what's that?" <laughs> And then Rome responds over the walkie-talkie, it's Bosto. <laughs> because apparently, I don't know if he could hear them or what was going on. <laughs> but he ends up crashing his cars into the bad guys, knocks out all of them, like the ones that were in the car. He saves Brian, where they just continue to like kick the shit out of Enrique once he's passed out. At that point, uh, Verone is getting away on his boat with uh, Fuentes, and he has Fuentes brought up just to force her back down <laughs> into like the saying that he'll take care of her later. Again, not sure why he just doesn't kill her right there. So Brian and Rome end up driving uh, along the road next to the water, trying to catch up to the boat. And lo and behold, we have Ramp X Machina, baby. <laughs> this is, again, this is the precursor to that trailer for Fast 9 where they're literally getting grappling hooked onto a mountain while driving a car. Like, this is, again, previewing where this series is gladly going to go in the future. When this, when this franchise literally stops giving any fucks. This is literally like gritty realism compared to where this franchise is going to go in the future. And you know, what's really funny is it all comes full circle. First race was, you know, on the ramp bridge. And here's another ramp. Oh, shit. Play. There's symmetry. <laughs> 
I mean, there's a lot of symmetry in early aughts movies. Like, it's pretty fucking crazy. Well, the best part is that, you know, they're just, they landed on this boat, which I'm not sure what the purpose of this was because both of them are clearly too injured to do anything from here. And it actually just distracts Verone long enough so that Fuentes can just like be the one who actually takes him in. I get, well, I guess Brian shoots Verone in the, in the shoulder once because God forbid we give Fuentes anything to do in this movie. <laughs> you know, the actual cop. Like. Right. So finally, uh, everyone, you know, we get our happy ending. Uh, everyone gets back to the, uh, everyone gets back to shore. Um, I think Markham, I think that's his name again. <laughs> James Renner. Um, he begrudgingly like thanks the guys for everything they did. He says, Oh, only three duffel bags uh rome goes over and he grabs the rest of the duffel bags as kind of a show of respect and tells him actually there were six um enough to make a case for them to uh put verona away <laughs> we get that funny back and forth where uh where rome tells verona hey don't drop the soap in the prison or in the pen big homie and then uh, Brian then like starts messing with Rome by saying, "Damn, he's gonna be pissed. He's gonna hate you when he gets out." And Rome is just like, "He ain't getting out though, right?" No, but like for real, he ain't getting out, right? <laughs> Which again, the most disappointing part about this is that we will never get a follow up to this movie ever. <laughs> you shut your mouth. That's gonna be Fast Ten. Fast in your seat. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's just gonna be like only Rome and like Tez. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone hates Tyrese too much and he needs the money. <laughs> uh, uh, Cole Hauser, I'm pretty sure he needs the money too. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so the movie ends with, you know, both of them walking away uh, where they're talking about, you know, how they should just open a garage together in Miami and uh, because their pockets ain't empty anymore. And that's where you see the comical scene of Tyrese lifting his shirt and having all the wads of bills, like, in his jeans. Despite the fact that they are literally surrounded by federal agents that you would think would have at least tried to check if they were taking any contraband with them, right? <laughs> like, like, who just lets these guys walk away? Like, shouldn't they be debriefed? Shouldn't they? Like, it feels like the process needs to be a little bit more intense to, to let, like, known criminals just walk away from a crime scene like that. And again, disappointingly, like, they actually do not open up this garage in Miami that they wanted to. Um, in fact, it's like you don't ever see Rome again until 2011. So it's like you're basically, I think, I think, I think Rome and Tez probably kept in touch with each other, but it was definitely not. Yeah, again, this, they tried to bury this movie for a while before before fast five comes around <laughs> yeah pretty much and that's it you know roll credits we get those weird credit those weird cgi credits of like the uh, the first race and right. that's our movie yeah which you know uh, again unpopular opinion this is really my favorite one in the series it's the first one i watched it is you know, the, I'd say second is Fast Five because I just love the fact that they brought everyone back. 
Uh, third is probably Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I, that original movie, man, and and the Dominic storyline, like I just, I it just doesn't land with me. I just don't care about it enough. Uh, I prefer this. I prefer when this series just goes stupider and stupider and most and more outlandish. Like it really is just give me like Roger Moore Bond like versions of Fast and Furious Forever. Like just keep going about as wild as you can go, and I will travel with you with my half tank of nitrous oxide ready to shoot somebody out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, definitely, I like this movie. Um, and, and I, I think the fact that I just have such a personal connection to this movie, it just, I watched it at such an important time in my life <laughs> that it just matters to me way more than this like stupid movie should matter. Sadly, this is actually the movie with the worst Rotten Tomatoes score out of all of them. <laughs> you fucks. This is your fault. <laughs> This has a 5.9 rating on IMDb. Fuck you guys. What's the... T- oh, what's the... It has a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has 38% on Metacritic. Man, fuck this. This movie was great. Shut up. Like, this movie is such a fun movie to watch. Like, it's so... it it It's one of those weird movies where it doesn't take itself serious... Or it takes itself just as serious enough for you to be like, oh, wow, these guys really think they're doing something here. And then they tell you, oh, wait, ejecto <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just one of those, it, it's one of those weird, goofy movies. It doesn't know whether to play into the campy, like, craziness or it still wants to be gritty and realistic. I love the new Miami, the Miami, the change in, um the change in uh, scenery in Miami, like you said, is really cool. Completely distracts that this is kind of like a one-off. Like, this feels almost like a Fast and the Furious story, like the way Rogue One was a Star Wars story. It really, no, it really does feel like when we did Tokyo Drift. It feels like it's not part of the original canon, and it really was just like a side story. Um, and again, it's just, it, it's for, I don't know, maybe just, I just prefer the side stories. What am I going to tell you? <laughs> again, I mean, this is just a franchise that has done really good job with, with side characters. And there's also other movies in this franchise that I haven't even seen. Like, I know our main character from Tokyo Drift does come back into in one of the later Fast and Furious movies that I haven't seen before. So uh, I'm curious to revisit some of the other movies in this franchise too. But uh, again, it's just, I just don't know if any of them will just capture just like all the whatever, just perfect thing that I, I, I found at this time in my life. For this. It's fun. You'll watch it. You'll like it because of the nostalgia of what life was like back in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, like it's one of those campy movies that you can always come back to and have fun watching. Cause it, I mean, it's pretty schlocky. Like I'm not going to lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, I think that's about it. And that is Too Fast, Too Furious. Thanks for joining us on this ride. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) And uh, yeah, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. We haven't, we have not said just yet what we are reviewing next week, but we will make sure to announce that on our social media. Um, And, you know, we just want to thank you guys for continuing to download the show and hope that you continue to interact with us on social media. And please, if you can 
leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that's going to help improve just, uh, you know, the overall, like, notoriety of this show. So, <laughs> yeah, we want people to notice us. We want, we want sponsors, damn it. Money, please. <laughs> if you want to see Angel's, <laughs> Angel's sequel to Too Fast, Too Furious... Where Cole Hauser is a rat king? Fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Make it happen. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, later, y'all. Gang, gang.